0: Uh, anyway, so, so we are jumping back into ch- Hebrews chapter uh, 11 today, not back into it, we're jumping into it to begin with. And if you thought we had a lot of verses to cover the last couple of weeks, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. We're, we're covering all 40 verses of Hebrews chapter 11 today. Um, now I will, I'll just tell you uh, right up front, uh, I will be wedding, wedding your whistle. Wedding, what's, what's the right way to say it? Faith, help me out what you're I'm gonna I'm gonna tempt you with the reality of what is there we're not gonna deal with all of this in detail right so I hope that as we walk through this uh, you will be encouraged to go look at these people who've gone before and who have walked in faith by faith who have lived by faith and so I would encourage you to do that we will look at it but we'll be walking all the way through this chapter and, and, and here's, here's the reason, because as we've said all along, we're not trying to deal with every detail that we could as we walk through this letter of Hebrews. It seems that the author had an intent of exhorting, and, and it, it seems that this is more a sermon than a bunch of just individual doctrines that, that he was drilling down on in detail. It seems that this is more of a, a let's sit down and read this letter in one sitting kind of thing. And, and so we're trying to maintain the, the perspective or the big picture ideas uh, as we've gone through. And last week, we've, we started into the section that is really about practical application. The author had done all of this work to gemis- demonstrate the greatness of Jesus in contrast to all that had come before uh, and the greatness of his work, the greatness of the covenant that's been brought through him. And, and he challenged his readers to respond as a result, in in, in kind to Jesus' greatness. And and the last of chapter 10, it closes out this way in verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so you can see in this verse, there's kind of a dual fidelity here, or a a dual uh, perspective here, that we are not those who shrink back. We endure. We keep going. We press on but of those who have faith. We're not like those who shrink back. We're the kind of people that persevere. We're the people who persevere in faith. And there's this dual perspective. And you're actually going to see that work out over the rest of this letter as he continues to call these Hebrew Christians to apply the truths of Jesus' greatness to their life. And he focuses first on faith. And, And he's actually calling these people and by extension us, to live by that faith. So, so because it's so long, we're not going to read it all in one sitting. We're going to read it in chunks and, and kind of deal with it as we go. But I'm going to read first, 11, 1 through 7. We'll pray that God would just be with us, to encourage us to help us understand what it is to live by faith. We'll dig in, and then we'll work our way through the rest of the letter um, as we go. So let's, let's read. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And though his faith, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him by faith. Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we would just ask that you would do your work. Specifically, I would just seek you to, to, to grow our faith, to to inspire us, Father, by your word, to live by faith, following the example of those who have gone before, seeing and understanding more, more clearly what it is to say that we have this faith, and then to apply it in our life so that it affects it in, in, in every aspect of how we live. I pray that you would just, by your Spirit, lead us into the truth, do your work now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Only, only by faith in the Lord are we able to know the Lord, be accepted by the Lord, and be assured of, the future, of our future with the Lord. Only by faith in the Lord are we able to know the Lord, be accepted by the Lord, and be assured of our future with the Lord. He, the, the author here opens, as, as he's already prepared them, he's already kind of challenged them to, to draw near to the throne of God by faith, to be a people who persevere in faith. He now turns to this faith and he says, look, this is how the people of God, the people of old, have always been commended to God. This is how it happened. The old covenant and its sacrifices didn't save anyone. If, if, if these were accomplished apart from faith, if a person would go and, and offer the, the purest of sacrifices and it was done apart from faith, these things were just other religious rituals. They were, they were empty. They, were, they meant nothing. And and even as we know and understand now through the author's writings, as he's walked through the Old Covenant and shown how it was types and shadows, they were placeholders, they were were pointers, always pointing to our need for a Savior. Always pointing to the fact that, that the sufficiency of our Savior hadn't arrived. That these people, these people of old, they had to approach this in faith, looking forward to the coming of Christ, looking, not even fully understanding what it was they were waiting for, not even fully understanding or being able to see how this was actually ultimately going to work out, but trusting the Lord who had commanded the sacrifice. Their lives, like these, these people that the author is uh, writing to, and even us today, their lives, if they were going to be received by God, if they were going to be known by God, if they were going to be assured with a future with God, They were going to have to be lived by faith. They found their favor, their relationship, and their intimacy with the Lord, not by how well they accomplished the commandments and the sacrifices, but by the faith that drew them to do those. The author gives us, all the way through this chapter, he gives us a description, if not a definition, he gives us a description of of what faith is. Is. But before we dig into it, I just want to get a definition that, that we, I think you'll see it be built out over this chapter. But just so, because we're going to be using that word a lot, I want us to have a working knowledge, just a, an idea of what it is that, that this author seems to mean by faith. So, what is it defined? So, faith, I would define it this way based on what we're going to read through this text it's trust and reliance upon God or His Word by which we receive His blessing. And we live in obedience. Now, like I said, I think you're going to see this built out over the rest of the text, or over the rest of these 40 verses. But but we, we need to define it now because there's a lot of us that use this word, but I don't think we actually understand what it means. A lot of people say they have faith in something, but it never actually affects anything about their life. It doesn't change anything, and so, so they equate faith to having just simply having knowledge. Like, I know this, or, or we might say we have faith in Jesus in similar fashion to people might say they believe in Santa. He's as real as our faith is, right? Like, that's, that's the idea. But, but, but the biblical idea of faith is so much more, It's trust and reliance upon God, His Word, by which we receive His blessing. We live in obedience. It, it, is, it is both trust and reliance. It's, it's meaning that we do have knowledge of something. It, we, we have knowledge of it. We have apprehended some idea, some information. We have access to that information, and we even agree that it's true. But then we lean into it. We, begin, we become dependent upon it. So like a person who works, walks on crutches, or are you, kicking back, lounging in those comfy chairs. The idea is, yeah, yeah, you walked in, I, I think they're going to hold me, I think, look. And, and here's the thing, if you were with us when we first moved in this building, we had chairs that were suspect at best. Sometimes I'd be preaching and people's heads would just kind of drop because the, the bottom of the seat popped through and it just always, you just never knew when it was going to happen. It's always comical for me, but not so much for the people sitting in the chairs, but the reality is we, we, we lean into these things. We, we have knowledge. Yeah, we've got some experience with it. We have some understanding of it. Yeah, these are sturdy chairs. It looks like they'll hold us. And then you sit down and you're like, whoa, look at that. It's holding me. There's a reliance on it, a, a depending on it. And that's, it, it moves past this, uh, uh, this having knowledge and assenting to truth of knowledge to a reliance upon the knowledge that we have. It's trust. It's dependence. It's so much more than just mental, it's so much more than just a mental access. But but more than that, more than that, we see faith as a conduit by which we find ourselves able to approach God and God able to accept our approach. And to answer not with smiting, which we actually deserve, but by blessing. It's it's what allows us to step into God's presence obediently, humbly, because we believe He is who He says He is. We believe that He exists. We believe that He's good and great and glorious and gracious. And it's it's in faith that He meets us rather than with condemnation, but commendation. Now, right now, I, I don't think we realize this. But, but really, every aspect of our lives, <clears throat> everything we do, is shaped by what we believe. Is shaped by our faith. It's, it's so easy for us to just kind of go through life and not think about this. But, but everything we do or everything we don't do is shaped by faith in someone or something or a lack of faith in someone or something. Your your faith, this morning, you believed something, and so you showed up here. Or you're watching online. You you believed something that motivated you and encouraged you. But right now, it it seems to me that that we hit this chapter at a critical time for us. Right now, we live in the midst of what I would consider just a faith crisis. Because everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, people are struggling with no, knowing who to trust. We, we, at the click of a button, it, it just a, 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 heck, we don't even have to type anymore. We can just ask Siri or I don't know who Google, what, what Google's name is. Hey, Google. <laughs> if somebody's phone went off, that would have been funny, but it didn't happen. We don't even, Just tell me the answer to this. And there's so many varying perspectives on so many varying topics that we've got this information overload and we don't know who to trust. And this is only further exacerbated by the fact that we lived in crisis for, now, now maybe it's not the greatest crisis that has ever faced mankind, probably not. I mean, once the earth was flooded in total, but it's probably the greatest crisis most of us have lived through unless maybe you are old enough to remember some world wars or some uh, the the, the, uh, civil rights movement of the 60s. But for most of the people alive today, I'm going to suggest that this is one of the hardest seasons we've ever faced. And what we're finding over and over again is that no matter how hard we try, there's nobody here that can handle it. We're not even powerful enough. We trust ourselves more than anyone else, and yet we are not powerful enough, capable enough, for our faith to really make a difference in the world we live. So so all this trusting in ourselves, and oh man, humanity is so so creative, so powerful, so... so limited. I mean, just think about all the ways we've flip-flopped through A COVID crisis and a pandemic. All the different perspectives about what should be happening. But it didn't start there. I mean, you could go back to the 60s and look at the civil rights movement and think, oh, we we, we dealt with racism there. It's over now. Right? The laws, it took care of it. Well, then why are we in such disarray today? Because our faith in ourselves has proved fruitless. And I think we've come to a place, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great time for us as a church, a church who want the world to know this great and beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, for us to be at this chapter because we are in the midst of a faith crisis, and we happen to be the ones who know who is trustworthy and faithful. His name is Jesus. And this author writing to these people, we don't know exactly what he was after when he, or what his motive was in writing, like what, what was happening, but the... The, the, the most popular idea here is that these Hebrew Christians, living in a world of, of godlessness and idolatry, surrounded by others who are telling them, oh, you must add the law to the gospel, were being tempted, or even by their own struggles beginning to drift back to the old covenant and, and beginning to turn back to and drift away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatness of Jesus and His saving work to the old, dead, obsolete covenant that God had displaced with Jesus and His new and better covenant. So he writes to calling them not to, not to drift, to believe, to trust in Jesus. And we need to hear this. Because we are so liable to drift away into a world that is empty of any covenant. Empty of any promise. The, the world, it, it's empty religions. Our little perspectives, our little fleshly, sinful natures. They're always going to be holding up some false hope, some false promise, some false solution. And we're never going to be strong enough. For our faith to actually be fruitful. And so the author of Hebrews comes and he says, Don't put your faith in the blood of goats and bulls. But don't put your your faith in the, the ability you have to work it out on your own. See, they needed, we, we need to be reminded that Jesus' greatness is the only thing that's really only, only thing that's really trustworthy. The only only thing that will actually produce fruit when we trust it. To only by faith, only by faith in the Lord, are we able to know the Lord, be accepted by the Lord, and be assured of our future with the Lord. Faith in the Lord and His work through Jesus is formational, it's foundational to our lives. We must live by this faith in the Lord to enjoy our relationship with Him, to know Him, to be known by Him, to be received by Him. And to be certain of our future with them, and, and the author here is making this clear, and, and, and we're going to see it played out repeatedly through this chapter, but in these first seven verses, I think he gives us a good synopsis that then we can see the, we, we can see the cycle repeat as he walks through different heroes or different uh, uh, people who live by faith, of those people of old. But just look in these first seven verses. When we see faith, first, faith assures us of what we don't yet have and cannot see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's stuff we don't have. It's stuff we can't see, the conviction of things not seen. It's our faith that trusts that God will fulfill His promises in due time, that no matter what today looks like or no matter what the weather forecasts for tomorrow, that God is still sovereign, sitting on His throne and working to fulfill His promises in His due time. Faith clings to this. It's what assures us that that, uh, we don't have it yet, but it's coming. I'm not who I used to be because of faith, but I'm not yet who I will be because of faith. And that God will fulfill His promises. See, we don't don't have to have faith in things we already see and already hold. Right? That's sight. Your faith has been met with sight. The, The moment you sit down into these chairs, your faith, your belief that those chairs would hold you, was met with experience. Yes, they did. They are trustworthy. At least to sit in. And God has made His promises to His people and, uh, by His Word and, and then sent us Jesus Christ and He says, I'm not done yet. There's a kingdom coming and so we hang on. We don't shrink back We persevere. But how do we persevere? Trusting in the God who is and who's promised that he's not finished yet. Faith assures us of what we don't yet have and cannot see. Faith is required for us to know God. Look at verses 3 and 6 in this passage. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then verse 6, so you slip down to verse 6 and you can see, without faith it is impossible to please him. But listen, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. There is no knowing of God without faith. We can't draw near to him. We can't have an experience of him. We can't have an experience with him. We can't even fully understand. You just think about this. Our, our world, the people we know, have been wor- working so hard to figure out where all this, where we are come from what's our origin story and I was just talking about this the other day with somebody I was talking to a friend and he was talking about he's thinking about going to Chicago and going to the museum I can't remember the name of the museum there but we went with the boys when they were younger and we walked into the dinosaur exhibit and there was this hallway with artistic renderings of of lightning hitting a a pile of goo and maybe a puddle of goo I think it was called primordial goo Um, and then at some point a frog comes up out of it and grows a tail, and I, I don't remember the whole process. I was so frustrated because people were standing in this little hallway of artistic renderings and lots of words written on plaques speaking about it as if this was true. Accepting it not as a theory, not thinking of it in terms of theory, but fact. And as you walk through that little maze, that little hallway, you come to this place that opens up. And, and maybe it was because it was a slightly bigger room. But I have a sense that that's not what people were most interested in. I could be wrong. But it opens up into this room where there's actual bones of dinosaurs. Like real tangible stuff that you could touch. Well, they wouldn't. I guess if you touched it, you'd probably set off an alarm, maybe go to jail. I don't know. But, but you could see it sitting right there in front of you. It just struck me. These people were enamored with paintings on a wall. When there's something substantial and real in front of them, and they're so blind. They can't know because they can't see. And they can't see because they've got no faith. They don't believe the God, the God that exists exists. They don't trust. They don't have faith. They don't have any ability to see him. The reality is, is that faith is necessary even to know him, to know that we come from what was unseen, that the, the God of all, of, of, that, that, that is the source of all things, that has named all peoples. That God created us from absolutely nothing. We were created out of Nothing, like everything. and there, He called it all into existence. And then at some point in the process, he bends down and he molds this dust into the shape of a man and he breathes life. It requires faith. Because there's only a few people who were there when it happened. Oh, there's really only one person. Faith is necessary to know this God because we can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't can't hold on to him. But that's why we must walk by faith. That's why this is a life of faith. Faith is necessary. It's required for us to know God. It assures us of what we don't have and cannot see. And faith is necessary for us to be acceptable to God. Look at verse 2. This is how the people of old were commended to God. This is how they receive their commendation. This is how they receive favor from God. But then he begins to lay out for us some examples of that. And he starts with Abel. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. This is verse 4. He offers a more acceptable sacrifice through which he was commended. But, But what made the sacrifice more acceptable? It was offered by faith. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He, he's accepted by God, by, by his faithful act. And, 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 and then further, faith, by, by faith, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Enoch was out walking one day and then was not. God took him. Why? Was Enoch that great a guy? Was he so good that, oh man, we got to get him out. We got to take him out because the rest of the world's going to spoil him? No, because Enoch walked by faith. It's his faith that that not only allowed Enoch to approach God and live in relationship with God, his trust and reliance upon the Lord, but it's it's that same faith that enabled the Lord to approach Enoch and accept him and commend him. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was... Before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith is absolutely required for us to be found pleasing to God. It's necessary. One further example. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. He's got this, he's got this word from God. He's got this teaching from God. And, and hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flood. I'm going to destroy the world. You need to build a boat. Nothing like that had ever happened. But he believed God and his word, and he builds a boat. And by faith, he and his family are saved. But that faith did more than just save them from a flood. Look at what it says. By this he condemned the world. So, so Noah, Noah is saved, but by faith and, and by the lack of faith, the rest of the world's condemned. And he becomes an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah wasn't just found, found faithful and saved by a flood. Noah was found righteous because his faith was pointed at the Lord. The only people ever commended by God, the only people who will ever enjoy a good relationship with God, the only people who will know that their future is certain with, with God are those people who live by faith. Only a life lived by faith in the Lord makes us able to know the Lord, be accepted by the Lord, and be assured of our future with the Lord. I, I think this is the whole point of this whole chapter. And and it's not wrong for us to drill down into the individual illustrations that he lays out through the rest of the chapter, but, but I think this is the whole point he's trying to get us to to understand we gotta live by faith. The greatness of Jesus compels and demands us to believe in him and quit trusting in the works of the flesh, the works of 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 old obsolete covenants. And to trust in Jesus and his perfect work. And here's why I say that. Just follow all the way down. Look all the way down to verses 39 and 40. So the author starts this way at the beginning of the chapter. And look how he finishes or how he caps off this call to live by faith. And all these, speaking of all these people that he's just referenced. All these, though commended through their faith. up oh, they're found acceptable by God through their faith. Did not receive what was promised. They hadn't seen it. They hadn't received it. They were looking forward to it. That future, being assured of the future, being acceptable to God, able to know God. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, at the end of this, he's not just talking about the faith of the old, the people of old. He's calling us to express that same faith. Live by the faith that they lived by. This is his point. This is his purpose. Only by faith in the Lord are we able to know the Lord, be accepted by the Lord, and be assured uh, of our future with the Lord. Don't forget that. So tomorrow when you wake up, how are you going to live your life? Based on your own wisdom and understanding? Based on your limited knowledge and perspective? Or in faith in the Lord? What are you going to do when... When the stew boils over? Let's say it like that. What are you going to do when crisis comes? Are you going to revert to just... Overreaction? Worry? Fret? Run my own way? Do my own thing? are you going to walk in faith? Are you going to live by... Faith, trusting in who the Lord is and what the Lord's promised. You see, that's the beauty of what he does all the way through the rest of this chapter, all the way through these illustrations, is he helps us to see what it looks like to live by faith. Oh, it's easy to say we're going to do it. It's easy to think that we're going to do it. But how do we know how to do it? Well, let's keep going. Pick it up in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Huh. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know what was around the bend. He didn't know all the details of what God was going to do. By faith, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him. Of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Faith in the Lord enables obedience to the Lord. Oh man, we're so we're, we we we've got it we 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 are, we have got to figure this out. When when the Scripture calls us to, to activity in a certain way. When, when the Scripture calls us to live a certain way, so Ephesians 4 is what comes to mind, and, and I already know there's people sitting there, because Ephesians is always on your mind. Yeah, I get it. But, but there's a place in Ephesians 4 where he begins to, Paul begins to tell people how to live and, and live in light of the gospel, and he comes to this place where he says, Thieves, get a job. Get to work so that you can have something to share with others. The whole point of Ephesians five through six is essentially to live for the benefit of other people. To love God, Ephesians one through two. To love others, or one through three. To love others, Ephesians three through six. Love God. Love others. Live your life that way. That is a difficult way to live. We live in a we live in a country that says take care of yourself first, then take care of others. Put on your oxygen mask so that you can help others. Jesus says, pick up your cross, follow me. Pour yourself out for for the benefit and the blessing of others. And trust him to take care of you. We, we, We got no idea what tomorrow holds. But we know the one who holds it. Do we believe him? Do we trust him to have us? By faith, by faith Abraham gets up. He leaves everything that's comfortable, everything that's right, everything that's good that, that he sees in his own mind. He hears God call. He gets up. He leaves it all to go where he doesn't know. You ready to do that? You ready to live that life? When we trust the Lord, we're enabled to obey, even when we don't understand what the what the end result will be. We can't see it all. We can't understand it completely, but we trust the one who. In fact, I would just go so far as to say say this, without faith, if you don't trust the Lord, no matter how noble your life appears, no matter how many reasons you can give for doing good things, if you are not trusting the Lord in your life, you likely aren't obeying the Lord with your life. That's why Paul says that if it doesn't come from faith, it is sin. So we define sin, we define, often define sin as sins of omission, sins of, of things we don't do, sins of commission, sins of things we do do. I would say that, that we need to consider this. If we we're going to please the Lord, if we we're going to walk in obedience to the Lord, it's not going to be because of any other thing except because we trust the Lord. Obedience is enabled by faith in the Lord. Apart from it, everything we do or everything we don't do, is sin. So we read his word. We trust the God who, who wrote it and gave it to us. We, we lean into the perfection and the powerful sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, and to the best of our ability, now as followers of Jesus, we seek to live like him. Even when we don't understand the outcome. Or understand all that's going to happen. Faith in the Lord enables obedience to the Lord. Faith in the Lord, look at the next set of verses, Iliah 11 through 16. Faith in the Lord unites us in the Lord's better plan to lead his people to a better place. And we've already kind of seen that, right? We've already kind of seen that begin to be expressed by Abraham. He's looking for a city that's built by God. Well, look what happens. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered God faithful who had promised and she trusted him and she's made able to conceive therefore from one man and him as good as dead. So not only is Sarah too old, Abraham's too old, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So because of faith, they are united in the Lord's better plan. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you know, <laughs> you know that he didn't walk that out perfectly. Like, his faith was weak. It was wobbly, right? And so they take it into their own hands, and, they, and, and Sarah says, hey, how about you sleep with my servant girl? And he does, and they have a child. Come to find out that's not the child God had promised. But God says, you know what, because he's your son, I'm going to make him a powerful nation. But that's not the son I promised. But here's the beauty of it. In that process, it, 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 their faith wasn't totally absent. They knew God was working. They just, they just grow impatient, and they begin to wonder, well, maybe we're supposed to do something here. So they make a mistake, but, but, but all of that in, in pursuit of God's better plan. And he goes on, by, so, so, so they go on. As many of the stars of the heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore, they end up having this baby, this son, through whom God is going to bring massive number of offspring and people who are going to be of Abraham's line. These, speaking of all of his offspring to this point, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So, so, so this whole thing breaking out and blowing up. Here's this son of promise, this one I have promised you and through whom his faith is now being extended. And the people of faith are being born out. And every one of these people of faith who are living by faith never receive what had been promised strangers and exiles, not in a land but on the earth. He's making reference not to the land of Israel, the promised land, but to the land, the city that God's going to build. He's got this eschatological perspective already being built out because faith in the Lord unites us in the Lord's better plan for us to lead his people to a better place for us. That's the reality. As we trust in him, we're united in his work and on his mission and on his plan, and when we walk with him. We're not going to understand everything that he's doing. We're not going to get it all clearly. We're going to make some mistakes along the way. But as we trust Him, we keep on walking with Him. For people, this is verse 14, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land in which they had gone out, they would have to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. These people, they, they didn't settle for what the world would have said. Oh, now you've made it. Now you've arrived. They didn't settle for the entering into a place, a physical location. They were looking for God to do what God had always promised to do, to give them a home. To give them a place to reside eternally with him. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he he, he has prepared for them a city. And you see it again. You see it again, this way in which they're looking forward. They're looking forward to the promises of God. They're, they don't have it yet. They've not received it yet, but they know God's going to do it. And so as a result, they're able to walk in relationship with him. They're able to, 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 to know him and, and, and expect him to do what he says he's going to do. And they are certain of their future with him. Faith in the Lord unites us in the Lord's better plan to lead his people to a better place. Faith in the Lord, does, uh, faith in the Lord desires the Lord's will more than our own. These, I'm sorry, this verse 17, by faith. So here we pick up Abraham's story again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And you just think about that. Take a minute. Isaac is the son that was promised. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Listen, look at what faith enabled him to see. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And all, all these examples, we've we, 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 we got to see this. God had walked with these people all the way through their lives. We don't see every detail. He, the author isn't pointing out every hiccup or every good thing that happened as a result of their faith, but he comes to this one, this most serious test, this, most, this final test of Abraham's faith. We know he wobbled, we know he had some struggles along the way, but, but he comes to the end after having grown in his faith, walking with the Lord, and God says, sacrifice your son. Abraham prepares to do just that. He gets up, he heads out, and he comes to a place where he sees his Sees his son, he sees the place, the, the, the mountain that he's going to, and he, he tells his servants, he says, you guys stay here, my son and I are going, and we'll return. Already expecting his son to come back with him, knowing that he's going there to sacrifice his son. So he does. He's right in the middle of it. You just think about this. Now, think. where would you be? God, this is, the, this is the son you promised. This is the one who said, you said, you're going you're to bless all nations through him. This is the son of promise. How in the world? Like, that's where I think I'd be. I'm, I'm afraid that's where I'd be. I'd be questioning him. I'd be wrestling with him. And, but that's not what we see Abraham do. He'd been brought to a place where his desire was more for the Lord's will than his own. And he trusted the Lord. He trusted him so implicitly that he trusted that that if it takes me sacrificing him and the Lord resurrecting him, God's going to get his work done. God's going to fulfill his promises through this one, through Isaac. And so he does go. He goes up on the mountain, and his son, on the way, his son's like, Isaac's like, hey, Dad, I see the wood, I see the fire. Where's the goat? Where's the ram? Aren't we missing something? The Lord will provide. And he did. He's just about to slay his son. When the Lord stops him, he says, Abraham, stop. And there's a a ram in the thicket, and they're able to sacrifice that ram. And because of what Abraham did, wanting and desiring the Lord's will more than his own, God says, I'm not going to, in the same way that you didn't hold back your son, I'm not going to hold back my son. And Isaac becomes a figure, becomes a shadow, a type of Christ in which Jesus comes and the father doesn't hold back his only son and Jesus walks the sacrificial path hung up on that cross and he dies but the father receives him back because death wasn't enough to hold him faith in the Lord desires the Lord's will more than our own verses 20 through 22 By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Faith in the Lord waits expectantly for the Lord to complete what he started. Faith in the Lord waits expectantly for the Lord to complete what he started. In all three of these examples, these are men who had been told God is at work. God has promised this, and all three of these men come to the end of their life and God hasn't fully fulfilled those promises and all of them pronounce blessing. All three of them at the end of their life pronounce blessing on their offspring that prepares their offspring to continue walking in faith in the Lord. Genesis 27, and the verses aren't on the screen, just listen. Genesis 27 through through Genesis 27, 27 through 29, Isaac blesses Jacob. So he came near, and you know, this is kind of, this is, a, I, I, Jacob is kind of deceitful and working some stuff out here, but, but he still gets this blessing. Esau still gives up his birthright. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Remember the promise that, this, that the older was going to serve the younger. Let people serve you and nations bow down. Be Lord over you, your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So uh, uh, Jacob is blessed by his father. He receives that blessing. He lives his life and he comes to the end of his life and still having not received the fullness of the promises, Jacob then blesses Joseph. We can look at the whole chapter. We don't have time for that. Let me just read to you Genesis 48 through 21. Then Israel, that's Jacob. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again into the land of your fathers. The land that I promised your fathers. The land that's theirs. He's going to do it. He's going to bring them in. He dies not knowing. He dies not receiving it. He dies believing it so much that he promises it and blesses Joseph with it. Then Joseph, having received that blessing, living his whole life, comes to the end of his life, and he prophesies the exodus from Egypt at the end of his life. Genesis 50, verses 24 through 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of the land, out of this land, that's the land of Egypt that they're living in, out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons... Of Israel swear saying, "God will surely visit you and shall carry my bone, and you shall carry my bones up from here." He had not received the promise, but he trusted the promise, and he believed it so certainly that he prophesied that there's going to come a day that Israel is going to be removed from Egypt by the hand and power of God. That's a life of faith. Faith in the Lord waits expectantly for the Lord to complete what He has started. And it it's not dependent upon our timeline. We trust he will do it in his time. In each of these three instances, they're looking forward, having not received what had been promised, but knowing that God would fulfill those promises. Their future is secure, not because they got it figured out, not because it happened in their lifetime, but because they trust the God who finishes all that he starts. And So those examples are kind of all forward-looking, all looking forward. And then we kind of change tune. We kind of change perspective in Hebrews 11, 23 through 31. We begin to see how faith matters in the midst of suffering and adversity. And it goes, by faith, picking up in, in 23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. By faith, Rahab the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome, or she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Listen, brothers and sisters, hear this. Faith in the Lord relies on the Lord's power for deliverance. It looks to the Lord to work in circumstances that we can't control, that we can't, that we have no no power or wisdom to discern. Moses' parents hid Moses. Think about that. The, The command comes down: kill all these, kill all these little kids, kill all these babies. And Moses' parents, not fearing the king, not fearing Pharaoh, they hide Moses. Moses rejected an Egyptian identity and advantage in in favor of living as an Israelite, being counted among them. Moses feared God more than Pharaoh. Now, there's a little bit of ambiguity here, a little bit of uncertainty, because it says that he left Israel without fear. When you go back and read his story, originally, after killing killing the Egyptian, he does leave in fear. But what happens when he's gone? He meets the Lord in the fiery bush and suddenly realizes, boom, God is real. And he sent me in. And so in the whole working of it, he learns that God is more fearful, more awesome in power than Pharaoh. And so when he does leave, finally leave Egypt, he leaves not under the threat of fear, but in faith in God. Moses keeps the Passover, instructed the other, other Israelites to keep the Passover because... They're trusting in the Lord to deliver them. And they did. And and that morning after the Passover, the the, the angel of death passes over all the Israelite peoples who pasted the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. And all the firstborn, even the animals of the Egyptians, are dead. And there was a wailing like never had been heard before. God is faithful to those who express their faith in him. The Israelites were delivered by God's power. Can you just imagine seeing the most powerful army you've ever known coming up behind you? And you're trapped at the edge of a sea. And a wind begins to blow so hard, it tells us in Exodus, a wind begins to blow and it parts that sea and the water comes up on both sides and they walk through on dry ground. Tell me that doesn't take faith in God to hold that water back as you're walking across that sea. And as soon as they're out, as soon as the last Israelite lifted their foot from the sea, it falls on the Egyptian army and they are drowned. They are destroyed because faith in the Lord relies on the Lord's power for deliverance. And he delivers. Then (laughs) they enter into Jericho. They go into Jericho, a walled city, a powerful city, one in which they had seen before. And they said, no way, there's no way we could do it. And when they go, when they finally go, when they cross over the Jordan and they get to Jericho, God says, "Ah, you're not going with weapons You're going to walk around that city, you're going to blow some trumpets, and and you just watch. And on the seventh day, after after the trumpets had sounded, those walls fell down. And Rahab, Rahab, a prostitute. It's interesting she's here. Because all these other people are people of covenant, line of promise. But suddenly there's this woman that kind of sticks out the thing that makes her acceptable to God, the thing that makes her able to know God, the thing that assures her faith in her future with God is that she had faith. She expressed her faith in him. She received those spies, she hid those spies, she put herself at risk, and she trusted the Lord's power to, look, to deliver rather than her own or the people of her city. Faith in the Lord favors the treasure of the Lord over the treasure of lesser kings. Moses, we've already seen this, but Moses, he says, you know what, I'm not going to be counted as an Israelite. Or I'm I'm not going to be counted as an Egyptian. I'd rather be counted as an Israelite. I'd rather suffer with them. And so he gives up the the treasure of Pharaoh, walks away from it. He doesn't, doesn't live in its benefits, its perceived benefits, but he'd prefer to be counted as an outcast. Faith in the Lord favors the treasure of the Lord over the treasure of King, lesser kings, but 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 notice, notice what he says. Verses twenty five and twenty six, he comes to this place where he says, "Look, it, it, it's not. This isn't about self denial. It's about a, a, a reevaluation of what's actually valuable. It, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He wanted what's more valuable." And we're so quick to think, oh, this thing in front of me, I've got to have this, fill in the blank. But Moses, by faith, is able to see that there's something much more valuable, and that's what he longs for, and by faith, he favors that treasure more than, he, more, more than all the treasures that he was seeing in front of him. Faith in the Lord frees us from the fear of others, of suffering, hardship, and of death. And you see it all the way through this passage, 23 through 31. They're not f- afraid of these people. Over and over we're told that they displace the fear of others by faith in God. We're told that they're not fearing the suffering or the hardship that comes. By, by faith they are trusting that, that, that regardless of how bad the circumstances get, God will deliver. We're told that they're not even afraid of death because they know. They know that the Lord will deliver his people. Faith in the Lord frees us from the fear of others, of suffering, hardship, and of Death. So I just want you to think about this. I asked you the question, what's it look like for you to get up tomorrow morning and walk in faith? What's it look like for you to walk in obedience? What's required for you to walk in obedience? You trust the Lord. What's, what's it walk, like for you to walk in His will and to, to, to be united with Him in His purposes and His plans for your life and the lives of those you know? It requires you to walk by faith. Trust him implicitly what's it look like for you to face these hardships to to walk into the circumstances that you are out of control of that you can't see the outcome of you have to desire in faith we have to desire his will more than our own I think that's one we struggle with as I sit with people week in week out I think that's one we struggle with we're so quick to know what we need So quick to know what God needs to do to fix our problem. When really, when we trust the Lord, we will desire His will more than our own. We wait expectantly on Him to finish His stuff. That's what it looks like to walk by faith. Walk by faith. And then this author, just like me, it it seems, begins to feel the pressure of time and space. And he picks up in verse 32 and he says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put... Foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. This is the life of faith, brothers and sisters. And I don't have time. He didn't have time to go through this whole list. But look, the life of the prophets, the life of the judges, the life of the King David, all marked by faith. And the fruits of that faith became evident in their life. The beauty of this is that this faith in an unseen God produces real, visible, tangible results in this world in which we live. He is powerful and He is trustworthy. And if you doubt it, you think on the cross because that's the whole point of this book of Hebrews. Look at our great Jesus, our great Savior. The one who lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death and raised in victory, promising us that one day He's coming to get us. We walk in this faith. We live by this faith. And and even though we don't have time to look at all of these people, here's our examples of faith. But it isn't just faith in just any old thing. It's faith in Jesus. Because Jesus is greater. Because Jesus is greater, it's our faith in Him that makes us able to know the Lord, be accepted by the Lord, and be assured of our future with the Lord. So what's it going to look like tomorrow morning when you wake up? Actually, let's not wait till tomorrow. What's it going to look like when you stand up out of these seats and take your next step? Face your next decision. Live by faith. You trust Him. Not yourself. Not your own wisdom. Not your little bitty perspective. Not not what your emotions are telling you, not what the world is telling you. You walk by faith in the Lord. And when you struggle and when you doubt, look at the Lord. Look at His cross and look at His resurrection and hear His promises. He will deliver you. Let's pray.